there was a Jesus who died on a cross and then was resurrected from the dead. What does that mean to us? The one who did what was necessary so that people could have that opportunity to be reconciled with God. The relationship that God offers to us is one in which we are safe and secure together with Him. This is what we as a church are all about. This is why we are going to continue to try to get that message out and why we are not going to stand pat, put out a no vacancy sign, because this message is for everybody. I am so glad that you are with us here as we embark on a very special season. And not only is it a special season, but I think it is one of the most important crossroads that Washington Heights has ever been at. And I'm so glad that you're here to understand that and to see what we can do. And so when we are looking at even the experience that we're having right now and in the weeks to come, we're going to, starting next week, start in a series of opportunities to just bless people either locally or internationally. We've been calling that Love Gives for a number of years. This year, we're also featuring an expansion and looking at a new building that will create more space for the grace of God to transform the hearts and lives of more people that matter so much to him. So how do we get our arms around that? How do we understand that? How would we individually know what role we might play in that? And so here in the next couple of weeks, I want to take a look at that. And I want to begin maybe right at the beginning and with some of the simplest questions that we might ask about all of that. And let me start with this simple question today. What is a church? Right, we're here in one today, and my guess would be if we had the opportunity to ask everybody to answer that question, we might have a great diversity of different ideas about that. And here's my other guess, that when you see the word church and you think about that question, it probably produces some emotions together with it. For some of us, maybe the emotions are good. For others, maybe the emotions are not so good. And for others, maybe there's nothing. That we're just kind of, you know, just kind of blank about all of that. So what is a church? And what is it supposed to be versus what we sometimes make it or others have made it? So to answer that question, we're going to go right back to the beginning of the church. Because the person who thought that up and the person who predicted it and the person who launched it is none other than the Jesus of the Bible. And so, let's start there. And in the New Testament, we get 
four different accounts of the life and times of Jesus together with his disciples. And there was one time we're told that he goes to a region and it's just him and his disciples and he asks the question to them. And this is a question that if we're going to ask our really good friends, we might, you know, want to be in a really good emotional place because Jesus asked this question, who do the people say that I am? And so if you go to your friends and say, hey, who do people think that I am? Prepare yourself, right? But Jesus asked that day, and the answer he gets goes something like this. Well, some people think you're like a reincarnated John the Baptist, and he was beheaded not that long ago. Others think you're a reincarnated version of an Old Testament prophet who's come back. And then Jesus asked the most profound question of all, well, who do you say that I am? And one of his disciples, Peter, Peter, who got it wrong a lot of times. Peter put his foot in his mouth a lot of times. Peter, who reacted with emotions first and then thought about it later, gets this one right. And on this day, this is what Peter says. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the one that we've been waiting for. You are the one who has been predicted and promised and then Jesus says this in response, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And there's that word. And the gates of Hades, another way to say that is the abode of the dead, the place of death. Death itself will not overcome it. And those are Jesus' words. And at that point, you probably know that when Jesus was speaking, he didn't speak in English, right? He spoke a language called Aramaic, which was in use at the time. And his words were recorded, the New Testament words were written in Koine Greek. And so the word that's there is actually a transliteration that came a lot of years later when the Bible was put into English. When Jesus spoke these words, the word that was there is ekklesia. What does that mean? When Jesus spoke that word, it was used this way in the general public. It was a gathering, an assembly. It was a congregation. The focus was on people. Think about all the things that that does not include. Buildings, staff, structure, a whole lot of organization. The focus was on people. It was a gathering. But then, of course, you know, as time goes on and Bibles are translated, um, this was translated into English as church. That word church is actually a derivative of a German word, Kirche, and that literally means the house of God. Did you notice the shift from the people, from the gathering, from the assembly to the building? And there are times... That's what church means, is that we go to a place and we occupy a space in that place. But when Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, he was talking about a gathering, a movement that was founded by him. Well, Jesus goes on to be put on trial. He is crucified, nailed to a Roman cross. He He dies, he's placed into a tomb. Three days later, he is resurrected from the grave, and then he meets his disciples again. 
And he spends about 40 days together with them. And then as he's about to ascend into heaven, he turns to his followers and he gives final instructions. Sometimes this is referred to as the great commission, kind of the great sending. This is Jesus' final direction for his followers. And in Luke's version of it in the book of Acts, um, it's stated this way. So they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because they were not thinking about a movement that was ultimately going to become multi-ethnic, multinational, global in nature, something that even the gates of Hades, the abode of the dead, would not be able to overcome. Let's found a kingdom. And Jesus says, well, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And we don't know exactly what they thought about that, but I'm thinking, you know, if I'm trying to project myself into that space, well, power's good. What kind of power is it? And what is that power going to be used for? And if the guy who lived and died and rose again from the dead says, I'm going to give you a power, there's a power coming. What are we going to use that for? And Jesus tells them what it's going to be for. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the word witness is used there in a very similar way that we use the word in our context. Like somebody going into a courtroom and as a witness, they share what they saw and what they heard. They're accountable for what they know. They're not accountable for what they do not know, but they are there to share what they know, what they've seen, what they've heard. Now, picture this. Because when Jesus speaks these words, there are not that many people. There's about 100 people gathered around him. And he talks about Jerusalem, and that's where they were. And so to take those words and put it in our context, maybe it would sound a little bit like this. So you're going to be my witnesses in Ogden. Okay, Ogden. I know where that is, and I know the layout. It's right, you know, at our doorstep there. And then in all Judea, that's the surrounding area. So maybe that would be Weber, Davis, and Morgan counties, kind of a, a larger area, maybe even, you know, as large as the Wasatch Front. And then Samaria. If you know anything about Samaria, that was a place they didn't like to go because there were people there that they didn't like. And so maybe for us, that would be Tooele, you know, would be... <laughs> A place like that, and I don't know why we pick on Tooele. If you're watching from Tooele, you know, no harm, no foul. Um, and then, now get this, get this, to the ends of the earth. You know, Jesus, have you seen how many of us, or really how few of us are standing around here, and you're talking about the ends of the earth? And the crazy thing is, the people who heard those words the first time, the earth, really, and the whole world to them was the Roman Empire. They'd never heard of places like China and northern Utah and a whole bunch of other places, but Jesus did. And my gathering, my assembly, my congregation is this movement that is going to ultimately go everywhere because everyone matters to God. Well, shortly after that, you know, the, Jesus ascends to heaven, and his followers go back to Jerusalem, and they decide they're going to pray for a while, and that's a really good idea. And then this moment comes where the Holy Spirit, 
manifests itself in a number of ways. And one of those ways is that when they spoke to people at a certain feast that was taking place in Jerusalem, the Feast of Pentecost was coming, and it was a celebration of who God was and all that he had done. So people from all over the Roman Empire who had a Jewish faith came to Jerusalem as a pilgrimage. And all of a sudden, the followers of Jesus, when they spoke to them, everybody could understand them in their own language. And crazy thing, I think it's kind of a funny thing that when people hear them speaking like that, they go, well, they must be drunk. And some things really don't change over time that when there's some craziness going on, people just assume that they've been drinking. But they go, hey, no, they're not babbling. They're speaking to me in my language. I can understand it in my own language. What's going on here? These are Galileans, and Galilee was like the boonies, the sticks. This is the place where uneducated people would be. How could they do this? And so as the Feast of Pentecost unfolded, it becomes opening day of the church, day one. And who stands up to preach the first message on opening day? None other than Peter himself. And here are all these people, and now they're wondering, what's going on around here? We hear you all speaking to us in our own language. We come from Asia, and we come from northern Africa, and we come from distant parts of that empire. How is it that we can hear you speak to us in our language? And here's what Peter says on that day. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. Now, here's the thing. When he's talking about this, this is not ancient history. He's not saying, hey, there were things that happened a long time ago. Just take my word for it. He's talking about things that happened two months ago. For us, that would be like something that happened back on Labor Day. And I wonder if in the crowd there were people saying, yeah, you know what? I was on the fringe of the crowd one day when he spoke. Or I know somebody that he healed. So these are not, you know, events that, well, you just got to take my word for it. He's talking about things that many of those might even know and understand. They might have been there to see it. This is not ancient history. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You know what Peter shares that day? It's called the gospel. There's some different ideas about what the gospel means in this day. But here's what Peter says. It's about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So just as Jesus predicted, there was going to be this gathering of all kinds of people from all over the place who are now centering their faith on none other than Jesus himself. And it was going to be this assembly, this movement that God was creating. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are what of it? Witnesses, just as Jesus predicted they would be. And just as he predicted, people from all over were part of day one because everyone matters to him. And this is a really, really important piece in what we try to understand even that we're a part of right now. 
that what they were sharing with people on that day was not the teachings of Jesus. Hey, Jesus gave us some teachings, and they were really great, and we're going to keep that dream alive. Now, Jesus did teach some amazing things. But what is the focus of the message on that day? The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It is about an event that happened in history that's centered on who Jesus is and all that he has done. Faith is centered on an event. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. So in essence, he's saying what you've been experiencing and hearing people speak to you in their own language, it's all from God. Don't look at us. You know, God is at work. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Another way to say that is there was just this conviction. You know what? He's right. And they asked a very good and natural questions. Brothers, what should we do? All right, we recognize now what you're saying. We didn't understand who Jesus was at the time, but now we understand. Now what should we do? What can we do? And so Peter responds, and naturally Peter says this, attend church regularly. Okay, like five people get that that's not what's in the Bible, okay? RV is Roy's version, okay? Good time to maybe read the Bible a little bit more. Because... Why we chuckle about that, why we put that in there is for this reason, because sometimes that's what we make it. And we think, that's the goal. Not according to Jesus. It was a gathering, it was a movement of all kinds of people from everywhere who have been given power by God to be his witnesses everywhere and anywhere because everybody matters to him. And so Peter didn't say that. He said this, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what? You're invited and you matter to God and you can be in a relationship with him. Anybody act on that? He says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And do you know what that phrase, all who are far off, do you know what that's referring to? And do you know who that includes? You and me. And this is one of the incredible predictions made first by Jesus. And on day one, it's mentioned there as well. Because in terms of time, we are far off. In terms of geography, we are far off. But it was envisioned that day. And yeah, it's a lot of years later, but you know what? From one generation to another, it's been handed down like a legacy of faith. And here it is in our day. And the people on that day, what they heard, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to, that, to their number that day. That's opening day of the church. And some 2,000 years later, here we are in little old northern Utah. A legacy 
of a prediction made first by Jesus and then carried out in real time from a place that's a long way from here. How did we get here? Because one heart and one life at a time, there were people who held a baton of faith in their hands and they ran with it and they handed it off. And so based on what Jesus says, you know, what is the church? And I think we can put it in these terms. We use this phrase around here a lot. The church is a movement to help people meet and follow Jesus. It's about the people, the gathering, and it is about Jesus. At its heart and soul, faith is action-oriented. And it's something that Jesus has been envisioning from day one, and here we are now in our day, and we've got the baton in our hands. And so now, what are we going to do? Because as a church, we've reached a place, a crossroads, really, where our facility really no longer allows us to accommodate more people. And one option would be, you know, that we could put out a sign. Imagine putting out a sign that says this. And I don't know about you, but that is not acceptable. Why not? because that's not the heart of God. It was two weeks ago when I was standing back there. I had about a minute left before I was going to come up here. And walking in through those two doors right there was a young couple, and he was carrying uh, a car seat. And they began walking across the back, and they were looking for a place to sit. And they made it all the way to that corner. And then they began to walk back, and they were still looking for a place to sit. And they walked back out through those doors. Now, did they go to sit in the theater area, or did they walk out? I don't know. But imagine if that was somebody that mattered to you. And I'll guarantee you this. Anybody who walks in those doors matters to God. So what are we going to do? We're not going to do that. We're not going to hang out that sign. And I want to suggest this to you as well, that we as Washington Heights have been here before at this crossroads. Now, I wasn't there, and many of you weren't there. A few of you were. And the church made a decision about what they were going to do. And rather than me telling you about that, I thought it would be good for you to hear it from the person who was sitting in my seat during that time when they made that decision. And by way of video, check this out. Today I'm in Boulder, Colorado, and I'm with a very special guest and an important person in the history of Washington Heights. This is my predecessor as a lead pastor, Les McGee. And you may or may not know, Washington Heights began in 1955, not in its current location. And when Les came as a lead pastor, it was in the previous location, and you led the move to where we are today. Les, what led you to lead the church to a new location? As we outgrew our chapel, we built the Family Life Center. During that time, the church grew from about 130 to about 400 people. We kept growing and growing, and 
Finally, I said, let's think about expanding our present facilities. So he looked all around us. People came and they didn't want to, they just wanted to build a small gymnasium, juniors highs. And I thought, we have to think bigger because our church was growing and we want to reach more people for Christ. And then a Denver Seminary professor came over. He was the president of the seminary. And he said, you need to think more than 10 acres. And so we thought of our present property. 20 acres were buildable up on top and the rest were hillsides. And then one of the people said to, to me, he said, why are we building clear out in the country? And well, it's not the country anymore. And somebody said to us, who would ever buy our property? And the superintendent of Bonneville High School said, if you ever want to sell that property, we want first dibs on it. And so that's how we entered into negotiations for the property. And we built out there. And that's where our present property is. And that's why we call it a church, Washington Heights Church. And less humanly speaking, that was a risky move. I mean, to move a church and to move locations and to build buildings. What led you to um, undertake that and have the confidence that that was a step that God had for you? We just were confident that God had us out there because we wanted to keep growing. And I had the conviction that a small congregation didn't have nearly the impact of a community as a large congregation. Because in a small church, you can't, you can't put on these, the programs that you can in a larger church. And so I would just encourage you to not be fearsome, but look to God and God will direct you and God will supply your needs. Would you say that God exceeded your expectations or undershot those expectations or about met them? Oh, I very, very much overshot my expectations. I didn't ever dream that our church would become the large congregation that it is. Unless in many ways you have just sought to meet God's heart for people. Can you share a little bit about that? We wanted to be a safe place where people could bring their friends and others. And we tried to just think of what a non-church person would think of our church. Unless do you think in this day that God is still reaching to people like he always has? Oh, I'm no doubt. In fact, there may be more people that are open and that are searching, that are looking for the gospel. Unless if you could speak to people who are part of Washington Heights now based on the experience you had, how would you encourage them to think about this expansion that we're looking at? Uh, I look back now and I'm so glad we moved out. Our church would not be anything that it is today because we need to focus on God and reaching out to more people who I'm convinced need to know the Lord and need to follow Him. And I think it's fair to say many of us are at Washington Heights now because of the decision that you made back then. And would you cast that same sort of vision that the decision that we're making right now has the potential to impact far beyond just us? That's why we bought the property out there, so it could continue to expand and continue to be 
a regional church. It's an investment in eternity, not just momentarily. And uh, I think you have to, one has to remember that it won't take anything with you in the way of treasures, but they will all remain here. And so I would say, trust God and move ahead and do what he has on your mind and on your heart, and he will supply your need. Les, thank you so much. Thank Pleasure. You. He's the best. He turned 90 in September, and there is no greater cheerleader for what God is doing here and now than that man. And we know what they did. They made a decision, and they moved from there to here, and in, you know, very real sense, we are a legacy of that. And we stand on the shoulders of people who came before us, and now it's our turn. And for whatever reason, here we are at a crossroads once again. What will we do? And how will we respond? And here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. In a couple weeks, I'm going to challenge you to be a part of that program to initiate that expansion. But today, here's what I would like to ask you to do. These booklets that detail our projects in Love Gives are available today on racks as you head out. Please grab one of these and look it over. Get real familiar with what's coming week by week, but also with this opportunity for an expansion. And in a couple weeks, I'm going to ask us all to commit financially to this as well. Why would we do that? That's not the easiest thing that we could be doing right now. And I believe it is because that what we're a part of right now is a movement to help people meet and follow Jesus. That's what it was when Jesus predicted it. It's what it was on day one. And these 2,000 years later, here we are. And what will we do. So I'm going to ask you to take one of these, and this week, just pray. God, what would you have me do? God, how can I be a part of what you're doing? Would you bow your heads together with me? So Lord Jesus, thank you, because even the fact that we are here today is your doing and a long time ago, you said, there's going to be a gathering. It's about people and what God is doing in the hearts and lives of people. And here we are. And God, forgive us for the times that we make church something other than what you envisioned. And God, help us in this moment in time as Washington Heights to know what you are calling and leading us to do. And God, give us the vision that you have. Help us to see what you see. And help us to know that we're at a place here that includes us, but it isn't just about us. That it's about the heart of God and people who matter so much to you. So God, during this time, may we seek you. May we come to you. May we pray to you. And may we hear from our great God about your heart and your vision. 
We commit this all to you. We thank you even for this time together in the gathering that is focused on the Jesus of the Bible. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.